Hello, and welcome to the Geekiest Podcast, where we sit around and talk to our friends about all things geeky, all the while giving each other geek points to determine who is the geekiest. Welcome to the Geekiest. My name is Joseph. My pronouns are he, him. Will, I am a meat popsicle. On today, I'm Eric Weiner, Alligator Alley Entertainment, and I'm a he, him as well. Awesome. Welcome to the show, Eric. It's, uh, we've, we've gotten, have we now gotten all of the, the Alligator Alley crew? I, we, we had Brian on, we had Rich on, we've had Christopher Robin Neglin on twice. And then you've had us all, and you even got a double dose of Chris. Yeah. Yeah. Well, welcome to the show, Eric. Uh, sorry about taking so long to get you on. Um, I have met you. I, I first met you at uh, RPG Escape uh, 2018, I want to say. And uh, I, 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 I enjoyed the um, suggestion you gave at the beginning about uh, at be- that year's like zero level question was, uh, you know, like, fast, simple rules for being a GM. Um, and I, I, I remember liking your response, but don't know if I have it written down still. Well, I mean, my, my quickest rules for being a GM is uh, it's everyone's game, not yours. Um, yes, that, and that resonated with me. That, that was what resonated with me because I, I do find there are a lot of GMs who think their gaming group is how they work out their novel. Oh, well, yeah, but I don't even mean that as like a railroading sort of thing. Right. Um, uh, so a game master ultimately is a servant. Um, it's really uh, ideally the most selfless portion of it because mm-hmm. you have to be completely satisfied with getting your ass kicked a lot um, because the supposedly these guys are the heroes. Right. Um, ideally, that's my that's a personal bias. Mm-hmm. You know, that the, they're supposed to be the heroes. They're supposed to shine. They're supposed to win. Um, mm-hmm. if you give them a setback. The setback has to be a lesson. It has to be like a narrative switch. Uh, and, you know, and all games, no matter what, whether you're a player or a GM, the most important question in the world you can ever ask <coughs> for me is what's the fun in that, right? Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is, this is I'm, I'm going to digress because I do that a lot. But uh, we were at a panel. Um, the people from Green Running were actually holding the panel. Uh, and somebody was like, why don't women have lower strength maximums or something, right? Which mm-hmm. to me is like the oldest, stupidest grognard thing ever. Because first of all, you're not playing, you know, Susie from the mall. You're playing, I don't know, Brienne of Tart, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, exceptional character. And second, how's that fun? How's that fun? If you don't have an answer to that, it doesn't matter. It's not, you know, game simulation. It's not world simulation. It's a game. So that's it. So that's kind of my my philosophy on it. Everyone needs to have fun. Everyone needs to participate. Um, you know, obviously you can't force people to participate, but you know what I mean. Yeah, um, no. Yeah, no, unfortunately, it, that's that's far too common in gaming now. Is that uh, it, the stupidest crap means so much more than people it needs to mean? Yeah, I'm not entirely certain what you mean, but you know, what would my you know? Some people are like, well, this is what my character would do, and it's like almost a cop out. It was like, yes, but oh, you, yeah. as a real life human, 
have elected to play in a game where a character would do this shit to somebody to where they're not having any fun. So, um, you know, it's not an excuse. You chose who your character is. Yeah, I, I've, I, as a, as a player and a DM, GM, I've, you know, run across that. Well, it's what my play, my player, my, my character would do, and it's like your character isn't a, uh, a, 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 you know, a, a lock and chain on you. You're not, you know, it, you're not beholden to the character. Um, you know, you, you make the choices. You know, and if your choices is, if the choices you're making is making it f- not fun for everybody else around you might be time to rethink the character. Oh, and, th- and there's a couple other things too. Like um, let's say your character is an absolute dirtbag, right? Um, absolute dirtbags have friends too. Yeah. And they have people they're loyal to, right? So you can make sure there's some fun, but that fun has to be right. Oh my God. I can't believe, you know, Eric's crazy ass rogue is doing this to the NBC. Right. I mean, you don't murderate somebody in the party, right? It just, you know, like I said, evil people have friends, right? I mean, I know it sounds terrible, but, you know, yeah, you know, if Satan had a dog, I'm sure he'd love it, right? So it's not really the, uh, so, so you got to choose what it is. So that was my advice for game mastering. Basically, remember, everybody's in this mm-hmm. um, and everybody's here to have fun and don't cater on, on, the, on the far side of that. You also have to not cater to, pardon me, I have this persistent cough that is most assuredly not COVID. But uh, uh, but whatever. Right. So, um, you know, don't cater to the schmuck. I mean, you know, it's just if you got a guy that's, you know, disrupting the rest of the game, it's OK for them to get a lot less attention from you. Absolutely. Uh, and on that digression, uh, we'll bring it back around. So so obviously, Eric uh, is uh, we didn't really get into your 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 bona fides. Uh, Eric is one of the creative forces behind uh witch hunter uh that is you're now witch hunter is now being produced by alligator alley but was it it was from someone else before that or am i just okay so 21 years ago uh, me and some friends of mine down here in south florida we started a company called paradigm paradigm concepts still around do great work um arcanus the world shut emperor is probably their biggest property it's been around for 20 plus years which Mm -hmm. not for nothing but in game industry is pretty long right yeah it is a lot of things around aren't around for 20 months right so mm-hmm. um so did a lot with them love those guys still work with them from time to time um and uh which on the invisible world is one of the things that we produced together and it was a game that i took a great liking to because i'm a bit of a i'm a bit of a history nerd when it comes to this sort of thing right so you know, if we had video or whatever, I, you know, I could show you like the freaking bookcase and it's history book, history book, folktale, folktale, you know, et cetera. Right. Um, it's a big interest of mine. And you almost can never come up with anything like fictionally as interesting as actual human history, mm-hmm. uh, especially uh, if you came up with some of the stuff that happened in human history. No one would believe it was real if you wrote it as a fiction. You'd be like, there's absolutely no way that really, that, there's no way that would happen. Of course, you know, it actually happened in, you know, 1642 or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I really loved Witch Hunter. So we reached a point, right, you know, where I was like, hey, I want like complete creative control of Witch Hunter. You want complete creative control of Arcanus. Let's just do our thing, right? So um, so I, I branched that off and started with uh, Brian Rich and uh, Chris, uh, Alligator Alley Entertainment, because uh, Rich also had a really pretty cool sci-fi game he wanted to bring to life. So <laughs> that's, how, that's how Witch Hunter came to uh, 
uh, came to come with me. And the, you know, the first edition was a mismatch, lots of great authors, uh, some real, you know, good big names, uh, some well-known sort of creative forces were involved in that. Um, I don't know if you guys knew Robert Schwell, um, a few other people, but I've actually, uh, you know, second edition wise, I really, really refined it and made it my own. Cool. So the second, so, so what is the, um, for, for those who are unaware, what is the uh, elevator pitch on Witch Hunter? So Witch Hunter, the Invisible World is a, is a game of swashbuckling adventure and horror in a world much like our 17th century. So that's, that's kind of a tagline or a short, um, that's kind of like a, a short elevator pitch of it. But I want to expand that, right? Think of all the great myths, legends, uh, histories ever. You know, you've got your, you know, Greek legends, the, you know, the tales from the Bible. You get, you know, um, um, you know, myths, gods, demons, devils, magic, witchcraft, sorcery. It's all real. It's all true. <clears throat> so um, as a player... You choose one of the chosen champions of mankind, pretty much chosen by the powers that be, uh, to fight against the forces of the adversary, which, for lack of a better term, is the devil. He's old scratch. Uh, and you fight against him to protect the world from hidden dangers. Um, so, I don't know, are you guys at all familiar with, uh, like, Cotton Mather's The Invisible World? Sounds very familiar. Okay, so... So we have kind of a maybe not great uh, chapter in American history where they were burning women at the stake for a kind of a hysterical sort of mm -hmm. fear of witchcraft. Um, and um, the Mather family were Puritan ministers. And Cotton Mather wrote something called The Invisible World, which deals with the difference between the evident physical, scientific, and logical world um, and the world of mysticism, witchcraft, and magic. And ultimately, even though he's a you know Calvinist Protestant minister, ultimately he came to the conclusion that you cannot judge people on spiritual evidence. He's very, very responsible for him and his son, right? Or very, very responsible for kind of putting an end to um, mystical witchcraft trials because... You know, too much injustice can happen and you can't actually prove it. So that's where the term invisible world comes from. And it's basically the, the world of magic and hidden things. So in the context of Witch Hunter, the invisible world, it's the spirit realm. It's the rest of the world. <clears throat> there are a few historical and legendary uh, elements that we pulled from the creation. So there was, uh, so you go back very, very, it goes back to biblical times when we start the, the story. And King Solomon, the great wise king, crafted his seal. Basically, his seal locked magical creatures away from the world of men. But it is a perfect barrier. So some things are, were either trapped on this side or sneak their way through at certain places. And he formed great orders of mystic and courageous persons to hunt. So colloquially, they're all called the Orders of Solomon, even if they were you know, even if they were established 150 years. And that's who you play. You play members of these orders who oh. hunt down horrible monsters to go bump in the night. And it's basically, you know, basically a Monster Hunter game before Monster Hunter was a book. Cool. Um, I, I, I'm a, a huge fan of uh, Robert E. Howard, and uh, this would allow me to to get to play my uh, Solomon Kane uh, desired character, it sounds like. 
Oh, absolutely. So we have a we have one of the archetypes. Um, they are very much the Puritan Solomon Cain kind of witch hunter. Um, it's very much one of the archetypes. Obviously, we have to acknowledge uh, one of the great giant points in the um, in the genre. So that is absolutely a thing to play. So you want to do like Solomon Cain sort of thing? It's absolutely there. Obviously, you know, uh, narratively, it's one of the things you have between books and uh, one of the things a lot of times you have between books and uh, games is you read something like Solomon Cain, and Solomon Cain's the character, right? I mean, there's not really anyone else, anyone yeah. plays, right? They're not yeah. in every. Conan's the guy. You don't play the other guys, right? It's not really right. an adventure party. So you have to kind of adapt it. But yeah, if you want to play your Solomon Cain type, I mean, he just has to, you know, um, play a little better with others than Solomon Cain did. Because yeah. um, being a fan of Solomon Cain books, um, he was quite the uh, he was quite the bastard. He was quite yeah. a uh, yeah. He, that, that's that's always been like my take when folks are like, oh, well, this this movie is just like a you know tabletop role playing game, you know, and it's like except this movie or this book focuses on one person instead of the whole adventuring party. Oh yeah. But that's one of the reasons why I love some of these um, movies like that. Right. So, I mean, there's a few of them you've got uh, like Ronin is really like a whole group. I mean, don't mm -hmm. get me wrong. You know, you know uh, De Niro being the big star really kind of drives the whole thing, but you know, everybody's kind of in on that um, sneakers. Um, mm -hmm. a little sleeper movie. I'm still on espionage stuff right now, but sneakers is a, a really excellent, like everybody's playing a character kind of thing. I mean, sure, Redford's like the main guy, but you know, even in a role playing game, there's always a guy that ends up kind of being the leader in the star anyway. Yeah. Right? But um, there's a lot of those, and when they come up, you're like, "Wow, this is awesome!" Right? I mean, yeah. later in the later in the Mandalorian, you know, when you get in the last, especially season two, I mean, you come through here, you know, what do you you know, you got you know, there's four or five player yeah. characters. Yeah, no, he but, has he has an adventuring party. Yeah, and you know, you know, all of them, you know, um, spinoff worthy. I mean, some of them evidently with some some uh, uh, scandal or whatever won't end up getting their spinoffs. But you know, you have quite the thing. I, I mean, mean, not for nothing, but you know, you have a you have a show in which Boba Fett's in it. And he's not the star. <laughs> that is true. Although I, I think he's I think not even the more... most badass in the show. Yeah, I, I think though both Will and I are, are definitely looking forward to the the spinoff book of Fett. So looking forward to everything. Yes. Oh, so, for sure. I don't want to get into the you know how Gina Crono stepped in it or whatever, but I was really looking forward to Rangers, right? Yeah. No. You know, I mean these are these are all this is a there's a pantheon of like really really good things lined up that that could just be played, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, there's nothing. You know, I can't complain with that, right? So, so that's Witch Hunter. Witch Hunter is, you know, you play, you play the chosen champions of mankind. So, there's a couple things here, right? You play a lot of D and D. You play some games. And someone's like, oh, I'm not a non-combat character, right? I go through um, on page 100. I'm pretty sure it's on pay exactly page 100, and I have a sidebar that says there is no such thing as a non-combat Witch Hunter. If you're a non if you're a Witch Hunter, you are impossibly badass compared to the regular person, right? Mm -hmm. because you get a lot of <clears throat> points. Now, you might not be incredibly badass in comparison to your fellow witch hunter, right? But, you know, you're going to be capable. You have enough points to be really, really competent in, you know, pistols or, you know, swords or sorcery or whatever it works out to be, 
you have the points to do it. There's no excuse. If you can't do it, it I, I pretty much tell you, well, if, if the adventure kills you, then that's your fault. Right. I mean, I don't want to put, you know, because we do have a little of that that comes from time. Oh, no, I'm the diplomat and I talk to people. Uh, well, you know, you realize you, you signed up for a game of world's largest dungeon, right? <laughs> you know, so, you know, I, you know how I talk about, you know, the games for everybody. But, you know, th that, that agreement goes both ways. Right. Yeah, you got to no. make a character. Listen, we did Tomb of Annihilation. I really didn't need you to do the like a feet fop and then have be mad that you're, you know, getting your ass kicked all day. Right. So. Listen, we need a Giles, but we need Giles to be able to step out of the library and put the smackdown on somebody. Yeah, yeah, Wesley and Giles good stuff. So, yeah. you know, I mean, are, are do they compare with Buffy? Well, literally, no one compares to Buffy. Like who does, right? Um, right. Anya and you know Faith and um, Willow, right? Everyone else right. is just like well, you know, you're relevant differently. Right? Yeah, it, it's so it's weird when you. Right. It's weird when you get into some of these, you know, fantasy games, whatever, and people want to put, well, I'm going to play the pacifist. And it's like, okay, um, when we said we wanted to be, you know, monster hunters or right the world's wrongs or whatever, when we were, you know, talking about the game we wanted to play, um, did, did, did you not, did we, did you not hear that part? Well, yeah, but I mean, in some cases, like personally pacifistic, right? I mean, that's acceptable. Hey, am I still on this? Yeah. Yeah, no, we, yeah, no I, I guess it's, uh, yeah, I can do the, I can see some of that, but then there are times when it's just like, uh, what are you doing? Mom standing all the way over here, away from everything. And it's like, oh, well, no, I'm just saying that you can be, you know, personally pacifist, but that doesn't stop you from being the, you know, healer, buffer, save people person, right? You know, mm -hmm. There's, 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 there's still a place for you, but you have to, you have to be willing to behave inside the conceits of the game. Absolutely. So, um, so, so what got you into gaming? Uh, what's, what's the origin story on Eric the Gamer? Well, I'm fairly confident that I don't have a particularly unusual origin story of Eric the Gamer. So, <laughs> eleven year Eric, eleven year old Eric was at the Little Professor Bookstore. Um, which is a chain that no longer exists and hasn't for 30 years, probably at least that the little professor bookstore. And there was this box with this crazy looking like dragon and like just crazy art. But that box happened to be red. Actually not yet. Okay. But by the time I pestered my parents into buying it, it was red. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. So I'm 50, right? So the basic wasn't red to begin with. Right. No, the, the Moldvay one was. Right. And it's funny because when I got the expert, the expert was still the original looking one, not the newer blue one. Mm -hmm. Right. So I just pestered him until I got it. And then I pestered all my friends in the plane. Right. <laughs> um, and they weren't quite as into it as I was, but I continued to collect it and read it. Right. For four or five years. Um, and then I wandered in right after I got my driver's license. 1986 i wandered into a store uh on sterling road called the complete strategist which was a florida location of the well-known long established northeastern chain i'm fairly confident they had it just so they could go to florida on vacation and ride off the taxi mm -hmm. right yep and about a year into that um i met the assistant manager of the store who was three years older than me and we became fast friends and that's Brian. 
right? Uh-huh. Who I think we'll talk about later, right? But you know, I was buying all of the Forgotten Rum stuff, and to be honest with you, reading it. But when I started to play, it was like I kind of disjointed, right? Um, and I don't mean that as a knock. Forgotten Realms is a an impossibly enormous place, but mm-hmm. I think what really happened when they decided to expand it, they took all of their other modules that didn't have a Greyhawk home and they just kind of stapled their countries on the Ed Greenwood's creation. Yeah. Which having done some world building, yeah, it definitely you don't want to you dev it's the base of the cells. Just don't look too close. Yeah. And that's that- what got me in. And then I really, starting from like 17 onward, became a very, very dedicated game. Expanded in all kinds of games, including like BattleTech. BattleTech, I thought was the greatest thing ever in you know, 1987 or whatever, um, <laughs> et cetera. I mean, I still love BattleTech. I play it every week if I can. I'm trying to remember. I at one point I think I had the the BattleTech books. It was one of those uh, my older brother's friend joined the Navy and decided before uh, shipping out for basic, uh, decided to get rid of all of his. His uh, mo or not all of it, but most of his gaming books. So, you know, I think I think for like fifteen twenty dollars, which at the time, as a little kid, my dad was a little upset with me for you know spending twenty bucks without you know clearing it with him, you know. But I ended up with like Champions, the Double O Seven game, like Second Edition Paranoia. Uh, I think both the DC and Batman role playing games, like. I also think that's where I got my the first West End games. Uh, I don't want to tell you too far the point, but if you actually still had that collection, that's a better investment than if you had bought IBM. So, <laughs> you know. I, you know, I, I, I think some of those books might still be in storage. Um, I know, like my my West End games, uh, my star my Star Wars books uh, are, are on the bookshelf behind me. You know, with with a lot of the other. Uh, other gaming books that I've picked up throughout the years, uh, either purchasing myself or as friends come in and out of the hobby and they're like, well, I'm not going to play anymore. You want them? Yes. Yes, I do. Yeah, so for sure. I, so you, you go from game player. Um, and I will say anybody who GMs is already starting to dip their toes into game design. But how did you make how did you make that full shift into I want to get into game design? Well, there's always a few game, and, and, and here's the thing. Uh, one of the things I learned is you haven't really put your toes into game design, right? I mean, maybe world design or narrative okay. design. Um, and no, I used to believe exactly what you thought, because I was like, I've done a little game design. I want to pr- publish, right? And then, of course, you get like into it, and it's just like, oh. So, you know, uh, I would go back in the 90s. Like, I was a big fan of the L5 RPG, and, you know, AEG stuff would be, I don't know, uh, you know, month, two, three, four months late. And I'd be like, ah, why can't they get anything out on time? The minute I started publishing it, I will never once in the rest of my life <laughs> criticize anyone for having anything late ever again. Um, this is, there is an absolute set of unique challenges to role-playing game publishing that just doesn't exist in most things um, in kind of a level of insanity. Uh, <laughs> but I started doing it. We were going to do... Um, Henry Lopez from Param Concepts and I were going to make a game because Henry just <laughs> Henry just loves Paul. Like Doc Savage, The Shadow, The Scorpion, you know, et cetera, right? Just mm-hmm. loves them. Right? And he lent some to me and, you know, I really enjoyed him. I like some of that stuff too because I was reading it, and, you know, and obviously Conan's a pulp, but, you know, different genre. And it was like, all right, we're going to do a pulp game, right? And we start doing like a whole thing. We're just going to call it pulp, right? It was just, we're just going to go, go, go. And we're going to do a whole thing. And 
you know, we started like doing the research. and was like, man, <clears throat> there's a lot more money involved in this than we thought. Right. This is uh, I want to say 1999 and early 2000. And uh, third edition D&D comes out and they announced D20 license. And they're like, well, oh, we can just bang out adventures. We'll use it to make money to make pulp. So pulp has never existed. Right. Um, as a result, but we started making uh, Arcanus, the world of Shadow Empire's adventures that eventually became a world setting that eventually became a 20 something year thing. And, you know, uh, one of the real challenges to adventure game rulebook design, uh, Rob Donahue, a lot of times puts like maybe better for a blog post than Twitter sort of uh, um, about these challenges that are a lot of times just very spot on. Um, he's a guy that he's, he's very involved with evil hat. Okay. Um, fate. Yeah. But uh, again, I'm digressing, but you come through here, it needs to be a reference book, but it needs to be artistic. It also needs to be fun to read. So you're looking at something that has to be pretty, but you also be able to, have to use it like an encyclopedia, but you also have to be able to enjoy reading it almost like a novel or like a short story anthology. And then it has to be pretty like an art book and you put all that stuff. And then, and then of course, Every last one of these books, if they were published individually, would be fifty to sixty dollars. And if you charge more than fifty dollars for it, people are losing their mind and will never pay for it, even though they just spent, you know, you know, they spend, you know, fifty dollars a month on video games or whatever. So, um, or a hundred dollars a month on video games. So you put it together, it's got this whole unique set of challenges that go in to its creation that I just never really like like you just I all I'm just saying is nineteen ninety nine me just didn't appreciate. Right? So so I get involved, you know, we do this and, you know, we, you know, not for nothing, like I said, Arcanus is 20 years old. Yeah. Um, again, that, that's, it's extremely expensive, uh, extremely uh, impressive. Um, I, you know, did uh, a redo of the Codex Arcanus, which was our core setting book, you know, edit, relay out, re-art direct, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We put that through. It won, uh, it won an Origins Award. So, you know, that was great work. Uh, the whole team was on that. Um you know, uh, we did uh, the Arcanus role-playing game in 2012 or 13. I can't remember which one. But we did the Arcanus role-playing game. And, you know, um, the rules design was very largely driven by me. Skill and uh, um, um, skill design and magic design was very, very much written, uh, run by uh, Pedro Bernachea. Uh, from there, of course, Henry's uh, world-building, you know, Jimmy's artistic style. We put that together. You know, they put an award out for that. So some of these things have won a few awards, right? And it's been really just, you know, particularly pleasing, right? You know, we had no, any, we had any nods. We won uh, Fans Choice Best Publisher one year, you know, et cetera. So we've done particularly well um, with, with, you know, for, for a small press group. And it's just great, right? Um, and then, you know, you know, like I said, split off about, it's like almost five years ago now, right? took uh, Witch Hunter with me and worked together. And, you know, uh, you know, Rich had um, had a science fiction game uh, that he wanted to bring to life. And he has, I mean, so Rich Lescafair, my business partner, has mm -hmm. just an incredible understanding of why 5th edition works the way it does. Yeah. Uh, and I don't mean this as a knock to my fellow third-party guys, but I see a lot of third-party stuff, and it's almost like they're trying to 3.5 it mm -hmm. there. They're, they're fifth. Uh, fifth isn't a thing with, you know, a, with, with stacking prerequisites. It's just, it just, you know, where you have to plan your character out the whole time. It just, it just isn't the way the game's made. It's much, much friendlier either for newbies or for somebody like me who's just so busy in his day job. Mm -hmm. 
I don't want to put the type of mental energy that I used to just effortlessly drop <laughs> into a champion's character or a 3.5 character, right? Um, so, so Rich has just such an incredible command of that. And what, you know, uh, and we had Brian. Brian had such an artistic eye of how to make it work, right? You yeah. Know, we're very, very pleased with the way the book, uh, that the, the core books came out. I mean, you know, you couldn't, you know, Wizards of the Coast had published them or whatever. People would be like, that's believable. Yeah, they absolutely could have. Right. I mean, it's just, it I, looks. I have house. both. I have, I have the Esper Genesis core book and the uh, Threats Codex, uh, you know, sitting on my shelf. I, I've, and I've thumbed through them. I really need to give it a, a bigger read because I would, I would definitely like to uh, dip my toe into some science fiction uh, sooner or later. Um, just, being a fan of science fiction but yeah uh and and that was that was fun when we had rich on and just like getting to talk with him about you know you know what he was doing with fifth edition i mean between estrogenesis and uh you know his work as a, a dm's guild adept just you know that was that was a good conversation and 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 good to have a guy who's got that type of command of the mechanics uh as part of the group I mean, obviously, you know, it doesn't represent a major portion of the purchasing market, but uh, D&D players could absolutely get a hold of the Threats database mm -hmm. and, you know, just pull the monster out. And it, 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 it's the, it, it is uh, just absolutely compatible. Right? Oh, yeah. It has some different conceits, but honestly, um, you know, the Esper powers are very, very similar to one of the variant DMG magic systems, um, you know, but they're not completely realized, right? Because they're just mm -hmm. like suggestions in the back of the DMG. And, and, you know, it's one of the things I like what Fifth has done is they've stopped trying to be the 100% final authority. Yes. On every single thing that ever happens, right? They're like, literally wasn't a rule zero in like third edition D&D until mm -hmm. that rule book came out at the very end when they were canceling it. Yeah. Um, like it like didn't exist, right? So there was always like almost a conceit and built in that was like, you're the game master. You can't tell me it doesn't work that way. The rules say I can do it, right? Um, and fifth edition was like, no, shut up. Your game master said so, right? Yeah. So, so I, they're I, not really fucked out. So they let you realize it and understand it. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, no, no. I I, I was just going to agree with you. I, I love, um, and I love whenever like, uh, Jeremy Crawford or Chris Perkins puts out a, you know, someone asks them a question and they put out a response. It's always, well, this is what we intended, but your 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 DM, your GM has final authority at your table. So, you know, this this version is way more rulings over rules where I remember third edition was all like they tried to cover every corner case. Yeah. Well, so so I've got a theory on that, and I'll drop into that when I when I when I get done to talk about estrogenesis here for a minute, right? So so since it wasn't fully fleshed out, well, Rich went ahead and fully fleshed out. And there was a couple of things that would be a little abusive, right? If you had a points-based magic system, this happened a lot of times with like some of the psionic systems. I just spend all my points on the thing that cracks the planet, right? I'm never actually required to use the base. So instead of like your you know your 18th level wizard or whatever has two ninth level spells and then he's done with them. You know, I have enough points on my sinuses and I do ninth level spells six times or seven times. It was game deforming. Um, and, you know, he went through and just said, no, you get powers all the way up to, I forget whichever was six in most cases. And then you get like class features is like, you can do this once and you can do this once and you can do one of these once, right? So mm -hmm. it from just being like, 
oh, what do you do? Oh, 13 time stops in a row until everything's dead or whatever it is, right? I mean, you don't run into that. Um, and then, you know, so he's got a real gra grasp on that. He's come up with some really cool new mechanics. So I'm just, you know, like I said, I'm just super impressed with everything uh, Rich has been able to do, right, uh, with it. Um, you know, I thought I was going to have to be like, yeah, you know, I, you know, when we first got started, I thought I was going to have to just give him like buckets of advice. And it's, it's almost like, like, one thing for the whole chapter every once in a while. I mean, it's just, I mean, he's just got complete, just a complete grasp of it. Right. And yeah. you know, I don't mean that dismissively. I didn't think he wasn't like up to the task. It's just like, I had been doing it for 20 years and he had just started doing it, but he just knows it, knows it, knows it, knows it. Right. Yeah. And getting back to your point on 3.5, where they go to corner cases. Mm -hmm. I have a very big theory for that because we were tremendously involved at Paradigm Concepts with RPGA um rbga tournament play and it was literally like only exactly what the rules say and you're not allowed to deviate so right. there was always a desire to control the worst element at a table because they weren't actually addressing somebody sitting in their home in topeka playing with their buddy they were addressing a guy that traveled across state lines so he could play in a different country in Greyhawk and get another <laughs> pile, of, uh, pile of experience and some magic items that aren't available. You know, he wants to be, he can't, you know, he can't get it in for Bobonk. So he's driving over. So he's in Furyandi instead. Uh, and, you know, so now he's gone to Ohio so he can be in Furyandi and he's going to get his thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and they're dealing with really the lowest cases that they can't, if they don't actually like cheat or, you know, cause huge problems, they can't actually prohibit from play. Whereas if you're consistently, you know, an asshat, I can just be like, hey, guess what? You're not allowed to come to my house on Thursday anymore and screw my friends, right? So, um, you know, it's not a power, you know, it's not necessarily a power that you have at Gen Con, right? So... <laughs> Oh, uh, it will as the uh, as the keeper of points. I've got about like six or seven geek points to give to Eric over the okay. over the conversation so far that I've been like meaning to hop in on. But and I don't want to put you find a point on it, but like three point five only existed because of exploits. In, in this is a personal opinion, like you know, um, Slavisic didn't call me up and say, "Hey, Eric, I know I'm the brand manager, but this is why we're doing it." Um, only really existed to handle the because almost everything that was a change was a redefinition, right? Yeah. For whatever reason, in like the book that came out, the player channel came out in 2000, it doesn't say saves automatically fail on a one. Obviously, they intended it. Their Deity's Demi's God book that came out, you know, within a year says that gods don't fail their saves on a one. Well, why would you need the exception if the, you know, if the rule already said that, right? But they were, you know, adamant, 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 and then they put it in 3.5, right? You know, there was a fair amount of, you know, this means you dummy. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I we got in that with Living Arcanus oh, too yeah. much. Yeah. We were corner casing everything. We had something called the Living Arcanus Rules Compilation, and it was, I mean, it was a phone book, right? I mean, I would use a term for my day job, but I'm not entirely certain how familiar people are with prospectuses. But it's yeah. basically a regulatory Describe a description of every single thing that's around and could happen. So it was like this magic item. Oh, you're not really allowed to use a monk's belt unless you're a monk or whatever. It was this whole rundown because it was like somebody might have figured out some way to be abusive that one time, right? It was this huge, it was this huge, you know, preemptive defense book, 
And I never liked that philosophy, but it was part and parcel of 3X gaming, you know, for 3, 3.5, and even Pathfinder. It was just part and parcel. You know, Pathfinder's done a great job staying in front of it, but if you go and you look, open up, I mean, obviously they're on second edition now, but you go on the first edition, everything that comes out and you go to Pathfinder Society, there's like these huge red sections that say, you know these rules? Can't use them. I know we wrote them, but can't use them, right? Because they've got to be able to handle that four-hour anybody that we can't exclude, right? People we can't exclude yeah. play format. So fair warning, if you get me going, I'll talk the whole time. So <laughs> no, that's, that, no, that's that we... we... That's passion right there. Yeah. Never be ne- never apologize for having passion. Yeah. Well, that or just won't shut up. It's one of the other. <laughs> um, but you know, when you when you're coming with the good stuff, uh that's that's also good. And I mean, honestly, I, I remember the three point three point oh, three point five crossover, and I remember uh Monty Cook on the uh Malhavik press site put out like kind of an apology Mia culpa on the, the 3.5 edition. Um, you know, to 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 the players, basically saying we kind of knew we were going to have to. They they kind of knew they were going to have to do this as we were delivering the 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 first set of core books. Um, but yeah, it's a that was a, that was a very much. If the rules didn't say it, we can try to be we we could try to break the game. At the same time, on the flip side, though, I I, I heard someone I don't re- recall who, but they said. Do you, but you, but you like five. five. Five is good. Okay, then don't slam three point five because we had to go through three point five to get all to get to five, and we learned a lot of things. <laughs> well, so so this is the glory of hindsight and not being ticked off that all of my products I've been publishing were you know made obsolete in like the second there was an announcement, um, sort of thing, right? As a third party publisher, so I'm going to throw all of that out, right? Because I'm still I'm still mildly butthurt about that, but that's not really their fault. Um, so compared to like how second edition and first edition were built, um, 3.5 is a goddamn triumph. Okay, and not 3.5. I mean third. Forget 3.5. Third is a goddamn triumph, right? When it comes to like actual, if you were looking for clarity of how the game works, like you know, I don't want to hear anything about this too powerful proceeds class when we talk about kids, right? So for us old people, but Third edition was very much a product of us Gen Xers. So we, right, the the late boomers that were gaming were generally like converted chainmail guys, war game guys, <coughs> nerds that finally, token nerds that finally found a home, what, home, whatever, with like first edition. But when you got into like us Gen Xers, we were like, no, we're going to play the more advanced cool game like you know, and it like it kind of hurts my heart when I say stuff like this. But we're gonna play GURPS and Rollmaster and <laughs> stuff like that. Ultimately, was like you know too much, right? Very much a product of its time, put together by you know math nerds. Um, and you know, well, here's we're gonna make D and D that thing, right? Which it's funny because there had been a ten year revolution on everything else going the other way. <coughs> So starting with like Vampire, um, and there's some other games that didn't necessarily make it. There's one called Noir, um, which was a like a film noir sort of 30s detective movie kind of concept. It's a very neat game, um, mechanically probably unplayable, and 
you know, but you know, but playtesting costs money. Mm-hmm. But a lot of the stuff that a couple years later that you would see in the way that like Deadlands was made was there, right? They had talents and the talents were named cool, right? You know, you had the you know long arm on the law and you know, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, it had all kinds of like cool stuff, and it was very genre-driven and conceptual. So all the like the creative parts were great, right? I'd love to take all the noir like creative parts and just play, I don't know, Deadlands with it, right? Um, but it was uh, you know, you're you live in the city. They don't say what city, you live in the city. When you go, when you leave the city, you're in the country, right? When you go when you go someplace else to travel, you go abroad, right? It's just broad conceptual, broad strokes sort of thing. So, you know, it didn't quite deliver it, although I did very much like it. Um when they came back around, they did um, Deadlands a couple of years later. Not the same people. Um, you know, Shane Hensley, I think uh, uh, Shane Hensley, uh, Hal Mangold, who's uh, now a Green Ronin, was big in there. When you get into that sort of, when you get in that sort of thing, well, you get in there and you talk about Deadlands talents, right? You're Luck of the Irish and you're Purdy and you keen eyes and mean as a rattler. And, you know, the game used poker cards and poker chips. Right. I mean, it had like a whole, I mean, it just bathed in the genre. And although Deadlands is complicated compared to what we've done in the last decade with some of these like Fast and Furious indie games, especially the last two decades, but especially the last decade, compared to like Rollmaster RuneQuest, mm-hmm. you know, Champions GURPS, first oh, yeah. and second from D&D. I mean, it really was, you know, Fast and Furious. So, you know, while all that stuff was coming out, right, the TSR development that eventually became Watsy development, but it started with TSR development, goes the other direction. And you can see it because there was those books that came out at the end of second edition that no yeah. one actually wanted to use because they fundamentally transformed the game. The battle, the, the fighter manuals, the stuff like player, whatever, right? You could see that's where they were going. And that stuff, you can see that's really the three, third edition stuff, right? So feats were a great idea. That was talents that were being used in all the other games. Feats were a great idea. Maybe quite as many of them and maybe as impactful as they were wasn't a great idea, but feats were a great idea. Prestige classes were a great idea, right? You don't subclass as a fighter. You want to, you know, you don't subclass as a thief as an assassin and you're stuck there. No, you're a thief and you learn how to become an assassin when you're higher level. And now you be assassin, right? You do stuff, right? I mean, even if the execution wasn't perfect, all conceptually, it's great. Mm-hmm. And now when we look at, to the point that was made, now when we look at 5th edition, and honestly, as much as people maybe don't like 4th edition, there are some really excellent mechanical innovations for 4th edition mm-hmm. that we still have in 5th edition that make the game mm-hmm. a lot better. You you are talking to a DM who ran a nearly four-year-long 4th edition campaign. Uh, well, God bless because I wouldn't do that. <laughs> But um, I mean, it was one combat encounter. But you I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, you guys I also did have a tape. I had too many hit points in regeneration. It just it took that well, long to. I also to had, get it negative enough to die. I also had like eight to ten players uh, every session. So yeah, um, okay. <laughs> I was a masochist. Yeah, you know, God bless you. I would never in a million years do that. So, um, but. You know, I'm not saying I never had fun, fun playing fourth edition. I obviously did. You're playing a game with your friends, and I thought fourth mm-hmm. edition was a pretty good tactical like game. I just not entirely certain it really was D and D to me because I've been playing it since I was you know 12. So I kind of mm-hmm. had it. 
but fifth cat went back and recaptured that. But a lot of those elements are there. But like I think feats and fifth edition are the proper balance between should I take it or not? Yes. I can get plus two strength, or I can get plus one strength and plus one dex, or I can add more dex while wearing mini armor. Mm-hmm. I can re-roll some crap rolls with my whatever, right? So so you get, you know, it's kind of it gives you kind of a balance. And instead of you know, the innovation, uh, Pathfinder had it first, and I'm not saying D&D grabbed it, but the, innov- the archetype innovation that Pathfinder had, which ultimately made for Siege classes pretty much pointless in Pathfinder. But the, um, the, but the whole, you choose like a template, you choose an archetype, like a little bit of the career sort of stuff mm-hmm. that you would have from, and from a person that created a career-driven ba- career role-playing game for Arcanus, the idea that, hey, you're a fighter, I'm a fighter. Right, the fact that you're an elf and I'm a dwarf, we're already fundamentally different. And then, and then you know, you know, um, you're an eldritch, right? You're an eldritch warrior, or whatever. I'm a, um, you know, I'm a champion or whatever. When you come down to it, we are, even though we're both fighters, we don't feel like we're at all the same. But it's not like this huge bulky difference, right? Right. So it's real quick and easy to run, right? So, um. So I think that's, you know, I think that really, really leans itself in there. There's not, there's fewer of the classes are completely written up on rails. I think the closest one still is monk, because I'm not entirely certain how you do a monk without having that happen. Um, but <clears throat> so they've done a really good job taking concepts from many games that came before that aren't necessarily D&D. <clears throat> and then some concepts from D&D and putting them in, in what is an easy to play Fun game. Wait, or, we're uh, supposed to be having game? fun playing this. What? What's that? We're Pardon? supposed to be having fun playing this. What? Yeah, exactly. I literally don't have to look anything up. I mean, I literally, I, I, you know, I was playing a spellcaster, and I literally didn't have to look anything up. And that's just, you know, having played first, second, third, and fourth edition, that's unfathomable. Yeah, I, I have to, I have to say the, you know, having I, I've played. Uh, as well through through the editions and yeah no there's a lot less a lot less having to thumb through books and and check notes and uh worry about you know okay but how do i calculate this distance um it's it, fifth edition uh i think the barrier barrier to entry for fifth edition is a lot lower than a lot of the previous editions but again i've played them and i've i've and i've and i say i play them I also found joy in all of them. There were, t- you know, I enjoyed playing them. I'm never, I, I've never get the people who are like, well, I played this, but I, I didn't, I didn't like, you know, the system. It's like, there are enough games out there. You could always just play something else. It's very rare for me for a system to make me not want to play. The system has to be an absolute barrier to play for that to be true. Right. And, Thankfully, very, very few games have that, right? Even games that, you know, you look at them and be like, yeah, they could do a better job, right? Are still, you know, they're not a barrier, right? You know, there's yeah. some games that you don't play. Like uh, my friend Shane at Pinnacle does uh, Savage Worlds and Savage Worlds, Savage Worlds. And I, it's not that I don't like Savage Worlds as much as ultimately I'd rather just play Deadlands. Uh, Deadlands is probably my favorite role-playing game ever created. <laughs> Pardon me again. It's probably my favorite role-playing game ever created. 
I think it works exactly right. I think it's the balance between rulesy and playable, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I don't want to play Savage World Deadlands. I want to play Deadlands Deadlands. And I would probably rather play, you know, the Solomon Kane game as Deadlands. Um, and I would probably rather play, you know, um, Necessary Evil, one of the finest mm. supplements for role-playing. <laughs> Love it. Um, but I'd rather play that superhero game, right, with something more superhero-y, right? You know, I could play it with like a Deadlands-y sort of system, but I'd also probably rather, I'd, I'd love to play that setting in a Champions game, right? So, so that's not so much a knock, right, on the system. That's just like a preference. But if somebody, like a good friend of mine was like, I'm running Savage Worlds and all my friends are playing in it, I'm going to be like, heck yeah, mm-hmm. for my friend. I mean, assuming, you know, assuming I could actually dedicate the time to show up because that's always a challenge yeah that is that finding finding time and meshing people's schedules that's the uh that's that's the holy grail yeah well that's a really big deal with my uh uh, that's a really big deal with my um you know my day job right so i'm uh i'm like the financial advisor for everybody else right i Mm -hmm. really help regular middle class folks get ahead but there's a lot of time demand on that so you know, people work. That's how a person works during the day. So if I'm going to meet with them, it's going to be during prime D&Ding hours. Uh, so what's uh, what do you have next? Uh, anything in the pipe that you're allowed to talk about with what you want to do with uh, Witch Hunter, the Invisible World? I'll talk about Witch Hunter second, a little bit of estrogenesis. But we had a book, uh, Forbidden Library, a very lovely Kickstarter, beautiful book, was in like customs hell for an impossible amount of time um like just like this is ridiculous how could this possibly be true we're importing a role-playing book not you know i don't know meth um but uh so we're finally got that through and we're gonna be shipping that this week it's great it's a supplement for fifth edition dungeon and dragons mm-hmm. it, you know how so imagine you right you go into a library and your player, your DM, your players run into the library and they've got to like chase the lich. And you say there's a library. What's the first thing they do? They want to go to that, that section of the library that would have those, those tomes. Yeah. I grab a book. What's it called? Yeah. They do it. I know. <laughs> All right. I somehow, uh, I somehow um, um, <laughs> knocked myself out of the general chat. All right. So, um, you know, hey, what's it called? I'm like, um, the guy's getting away with the princess right now. Yes, but what's the book called? So this is, you know, got dozens and dozens of books um, put together, created by some of the really just some of just tremendous like designers, right? I mean, we have books written by Ed Greenwood in there. There's books written by Matt Matt Forbeck, Ken Height, Will Niebling, right? So we've got a lot of, you know, really creative people. My friend Henry from Paradise Concepts. I've got a book in there. Brian's got books in there. So we brought Uh in all these authors to write stuff and it's just fantastic and then there's an adventure and a little mini setting and that's coming out soon that is really cool yeah i i, I pulled up the list because i remember seeing uh darcy ross was promoting it uh was promoting uh when the kickstarter was going for it um and james intracasso who we've had on the show before um yeah no i mean the the list here is kind of a who's who of everybody who's put out stuff i mean plus you gotta add greenwood uh father of the forgotten realms I mean, it's that's that's a, it's a you got a, a murderer's row of of contributors here. Oh yeah, for sure. And I know there's uh, you know some people are looking back at them as like 
problematic or whatever. I think it's just because they're old. Um, <clears throat> but I really wish we had done it <clears throat> 10 years ago. So we could have had, you know, Dave Harnison and Gary Gygax write a book. Right. Um, and, you know, so we have all these entries, you know, there's dozens and dozens of authors. So you have all these different tomes and they're all like neat, mm-hmm. uh, very power levels. There's an adventure to play in a mini setting. Uh, the adventure and the like mini setting is, is, is created um, uh, by Gregory Wilson, really, really creative author. Uh, run does a witch hunter. Um, not witch hunter. I'm sorry. Uh, Esper Genesis um, live stream game, right? Is a, a, a play by, uh, you know, a, a streaming game. which really okay. cr- pretty cool to watch. Um, and it's just like, just super well put together. And, you know, it had just gotten so locked into like COVID world. Like our printer in Europe was shut down for like how much all this time. And then, you know, then, you know, we had some problems in like English to Lithuanian sort of like translation issues. Like they were asking us for something and we're like, we don't understand what you want. Um, oh and then, you know, and then of course, like custom sat on the freaking thing for like four months or something like that. So, so finally that's coming through and people are going to be getting it in a few weeks. So I'm super excited about that. Um, it'll probably be an August release for stores because the Kickstarter backer stores, we're going to get them the book in like June and we want them to have it all summer. That's their, that's their advantage for backing us ahead of time. They're going to have the book for, you know, a long time. The props. So yeah, that, that's. I'm glad that's fine. That, that cleared through the hurdles to, to make it to people. That's, the unintended, the unintended issues of being a game designer in the 21st century. Oh, for sure. This is a little above Not to mention a global market. Yeah. This was a little uh, pandemic-y driven, but for sure. Yeah. But, and then, you know, we've got <clears throat> Master Technician's Guide. People have been getting previews of various chapters as they come out. Mm-hmm. That's coming together. We're going to print. We're going to publish that thing um, uh, later this year. Uh, the three core books will all be out. Really cool. Um, and, of course, it's into a perception problem. So, so if you think about it, when's the last time like a fourth edition book came out? It was like 11 or something like that, right? Yeah. And it was yeah. like almost 17 before there was book number one for, for fifth. Yeah. So you have all of these years where development where they're doing it and there's literally nothing T&D. Well, we don't have that luxury, right? We can't do, you know, 700 pages of core rule book, you know, off of $25,000 with a Kickstarter. We just can't do it. Right. I mean, it's a five year development cycle and we're going to be five years and all the books are delivered. In our case, it's release a book a year later, release a book. Um, pandemic kind of blew it up. So two years later, release a book. When it's all said and done, we're going to be releasing them over five years. Watsy just sat on their stuff for five years. Right. Because they did their long development cycle and Hasbro has enough money just for everybody's paychecks to clear. Right. So so, you know, that's another thing you run into a, um, a perception problem. Right. Because we don't operate. We might be in the same industry, but we don't live in the same world as some of these guys. Different ecology. Absolutely. Um, I, I, before we get to what, what you got going with Butch Hunter, I also wanted to bring up, and something we've mentioned previously on the show, uh, you've also been a contributor to the Daring Do zine um, that's been, you know, that the Adventure Game Society has been putting out to, as time of COVID is, uh, you know, has been. Uh, rough for everybody and we've mentioned before you know uh, at the time the adventure game store had expanded into the adventure game cafe uh, game society cafe and you know it shut things down as a way to kind of support it you uh, you know brian got 
a bunch of folks to get together to contribute to the zine. Um, and I know you're one of the contributors to it. Uh, and I just wanted to put that info out there that, you know, the first three, ep first three issues are still available for you to purchase to help support uh, the Adventure Game Store. And uh, I feel very privileged to have, you know, have you on the show as, as one of the contributors to it. Well, you know, and not for nothing. I mean, this was, this was very much uh, Brian's baby. But at the store, and I think it's true of a lot of game stores, but I think the Adventure Game Store is a little bit more, and I think Brian had so much to do with this. The creative juices that flow through the store, and, you know, when you come down to it, you know, outside of, like, some great gaming mecca, like, I don't know, Seattle, where, like, a major employer, like, drew everyone there, or, you know, Madison, where, you know, was a heart mm -hmm. of one of the game sort of things. South Florida is actually home to a tremendous number of uh, creators. Um, and, you know, every last one of them, as far as I know, is like friends with, was friends with Brian, right? And, you know, Brian was a person who made friends incredibly quickly mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, kept them for life because he was just so genuinely helpful, right? He actually wanted everyone to succeed. Um, and sometimes my frustration more than himself you're not wrong there <laughs> so he has a lot of um he has a lot of people with a lot of creative chops to produce stuff for it right so so i'm not the only person who's published things that has stuff that they just contributed during do and then you got game industry people to put the stuff in there so you know some of what we did is we have this battletech game that we run so i just put some of the stuff from the battletech game um that people could just take if they like battletech that was like my regular column. That was going to be in every single one of them. But, you know, every a couple times a year, I was writing something else, right? I think uh, I did like uh, mystery advice because Candlekeep Mysteries was going to be coming out, right? And I'm sure they cover some of this in there. But there's some advice that a lot of times gets that people don't really realize when they're running a mystery. And the first one is, does anyone that plays with you actually want to play a mystery? Like, it's like, that's the first question. Yeah. If they don't want to play a mystery... Don't do it. Do it for some other group later. You know, if you've got a bunch of guys that like to kick indoors and, you know, run an orc through with a sword, you know, maybe just, you know, run that game. They're not, they're, they're not here for it. They got to be on board with it. And the second thing is, no matter how obvious you think you're being, if they don't get it, be more obvious. Mm -hmm. Hit them with the it's you, you know what it is. Occasion, yeah. the hammer has to come out and go against the head. They just, you know, I mean, obviously you don't want to, you don't want to like have a fight and then there's a note telling you where the next place to go is. I mean, that's not, that's like right. the absolute worst, but yeah, no. um, there's a concept and it's uh, the, the term is escaping me at the moment, but unintentional patterns that logically lead people to the wrong um, conclusion, right? So when you have those going on, they're not doing what you want, but what they're doing is completely and utterly logical. You have to adapt to it. Um, it happened in it, and you can do this in a way a video game doesn't. I, I can't remember the game. There was a video game that just because of the way they did the light angles, right? Mm -hmm. A couple of the tiles were pointing towards a corner, corner that was brighter than the rest of the room. In the room, that was just a corner. It didn't do anything. There was no significance to it, whatever. That corner was brighter, and a couple of tiles looked like they were pointing that way. And people never left the room. Oh, God. When it was literally like a walk through the room and the monster, that the boss is in the next room. I can't remember the video game, but there's a there's a title for the concept. And it happens in society all the time, right? 
you know, people are like, go out on the internet, follow the breadcrumbs, do your own research. And then you come up with some other, you know, wackadoodle sort of thing because, but the pattern, and we're making fun of these people for being wackadoodles, but the actual pattern that they're following, I mean, uh, maybe not the craziest ones, but the actual pattern that they're following is 100% logical and lays out. It's just wrong. So you have to kind of avoid that when you run a mystery, because if you accidentally give people a run of, uh, if you accidentally give people a run of information, it can be put together in a way that you didn't anticipate that leads to something completely different. Because no matter how smart you are, there's one of your brains. And if you run a game for six people, there's six of their brains. Yeah, that's that's something I, I'm always, uh, I, when I talk to, to new DMs or GMs, it's like, just remember, there's more of them than there are of you. Do you can't come up with every solution. Sometimes the solutions they come up with are much better than yours. Yeah, you can totally have a geek point for that. Because <laughs> I put in, um, I think I even had in the article, right? If they come up with a solution that's cooler than yours, um, use it. Yeah. They'll feel really good for figuring it out. And it will be cooler. There's nothing worse than being a player in a game where like, you get to that you know, you're, you're, you're trying to find that, you know, you're trying to find whatever the clue is, whatever. And you can't like, for whatever reason, the dice aren't with you, you're not rolling, whatever. And it's, you get stuck. And, and from either side of the table, it's like, they're not getting it. They're not getting it. And it's like, they're not getting it because you know what it is, but they don't. So don't be so precious. Also, there's, um, if another, another piece of advice I had in there is if something is 100% mandatory, or the game stops, it should not have a dice roll tied to it. Absolutely. I mean, you can let them roll dice so they think they're doing well. But <clears throat> if the game cannot continue, unless someone knows this thing, they need to know it. Yeah. I, I, I can't remember who did it. Someone else had a, a this is from years ago too, but someone else had a, like a, a, an explanation for how to run like a suspense uh, mystery sort of situation was, uh, was I think like, have at least three different places where they can find the necessary clue. All right. I hit something about voice. Right. Yeah. So <clears throat> there's a game, <clears throat> Robin D. Laws. Right. Very good game. Uh, Gumshoe. Yes. Right. You get the clue. Right. And I'm going to unbelievably oversimplify this. Right. But if you're the big intimidating dude, you beat that, you beat it out of somebody. Right. And if you're the super detective, you, you know, figure it out. <clears throat> I've been interested in actually trying out the the, the gumshoe system. I, I'm a huge fan of uh, Ken and Robin talk about stuff, that, their podcast. Uh, I know I've mentioned on this podcast before about being a fan of that podcast. And it's, it's always one of those things like, I really need to find a group that would, you know, want to play this. And maybe where I don't have to be, you know, the <laughs> the GM for it. Oh, for sure. And, and the Ken and Robin talk about stuff is a whole lot of fun because um, – well, they're fun guys to listen to, and they know a lot of stuff, right? Absolutely. And, you know, you know, Ken's a friend of mine. He has the absolute best faux arrogance, mm -hmm. dick, of anyone I know, right? He's got the whole – he's just got it down to, like, an absolute entertaining science. So – Yeah, that I, – I, I, when I went to the first RPG Escape, having been, you know, a fan of the show and, like, hearing that he was going to be there – video you know i was like i was ready for you know I, I was kind of prepared for the ken persona that you get and he, and he does he does that but like at the breaks 
um, in between or like at the workshops uh, after the break where, you know, we're sitting together with him and uh, usually him and Hal are working together. Um, he's there's like a, there's like a giant educator inside of him as well that just wants to teach you how to play the how to run games and play these games better. Oh, for sure. <clears throat> and you can tell, I mean, he volunteers for everything <clears throat> always. Right. So, you know, it's, it's definitely a very appreciated quality. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, we've been going for a bit uh, and we want to be mindful of, of your time. Uh, so let's uh, let's shift over to do some geek news. We don't have Halo to do here, it. so geek news. Do, 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 do. Uh, that, <laughs> that was horrible. I'm sorry. It's all right. <laughs> it's all right. Um, I got a, I got a bunch of things. Uh, if you don't mind me going first, get to it, Joe. All right. Uh, so last week we didn't get. Uh, last week didn't get to do any geek news when we did our critical role wrap up. Um, but uh, as always, I start off with uh, sadly. Uh, covering an obituary. Um, last week, uh, we lost uh, Michael Collins, uh, Apollo 11 astronaut, uh, who, while maybe not as famous as Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, uh, was the uh, was the pilot of the command module, and uh, was. I grew up. My dad always made sure, like, if you you know, if we knew the Apollo 11 astronauts, we always had to remember. Michael Collins. So it kind of stuck out in my head. Um, and I was reading a, a couple things about him and things I did not, did not consider in that, you know, when, when Neil and Buzz go down to the lunar surface and he's stuck in the, he's, he's in the command module, he, he was alone. Um, and during the, the orbit of the moon, he would go on the opposite side of the moon and would be out of radio contact for a, a period of time. Um, and in there, I saw this uh, this blurb from his 1974 book, Carrying the Fire, uh, talking about that experience. And I, I just kind of I want to share what he said uh, just as a way in, in memorializing. Uh, so in the book, he uh, the passage is, I don't mean to deny a feeling of solitude. It is there reinforced by the fact that radio contact with the Earth abruptly cuts off at the instant I disappear behind the moon. I'm alone now, truly alone, and absolutely absolutely isolated from any known life. I am it. If a count were taken, the score would be 3 billion, plus 2 over on the other side of the moon, and 1, plus God only knows what's on this side. I feel this powerfully, not as fear or loneliness, but as awareness, anticipation, satisfaction, confidence, almost exultation. I like the feeling. Outside of my window, I can see stars, and that is all. When I know the moon to where I know the moon to be, there is simply a black void. The moon's presence is defied solely by the absence of stars. To compare the sensation to something terrestrial, perhaps being alone in a skiff in the middle of the Pacific Ocean on a pitch black night would most nearly approximate my situation. So, uh, not the first to be uh, isolated and not the longest isolation, but um, just I, I, I that blurb just hit me uh michael collins was 90 years old when he passed away um so he leaves behind only buzz aldrin as the last of the apollo 11 astronauts all right on to some more heartwarming news <laughs> how did how did i start doing the the obituaries uh you, well you 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 just got lucky <laughs> no. 
Is that what we're calling it? I, I, that's how I'm going to go with it. But you tend to you tend to jump on the you jump on the grenade, sir. Okay. Well. And well, we'll, we'll, we'll we let you. Okay. Uh, well, for for those of us who are fans of Dungeons and Dragons and uh, who are hopeful, uh, Jonathan Goldstein uh, on April 29th, or no, actually on May 1st. Uh, revealed on his Twitter feed that production was underway for the Dungeons and Dragons movie. Uh, Jonathan Goldstein is co-directing with John Francis Daly, uh, and they they showed the uh, the clapboard uh, with their names on it, as well as the director of photography Barry Peterson. Uh, and and the message was the campaign begins hashtag D and D. Um, so this. This is hopefully going to be much better than what came out in 2000 with Jeremy Ireland, Jeremy Irons, Marlon Wayans, and Thora Birch. Um, as we've talked about, this is the the cast of this is uh, Chris Pine, Michelle Rodriguez, Justice Smith, and uh, Reggie Jean Page uh, has been recently announced as a uh, member of the cast. We have no information on the plot where it's setting what the set is who anybody is playing other than i believe uh no I, I don't even think we have like thought they announced who the villain was but i am my brain is is a little squishy um so yeah uh production has started and i, th- I think we had talked about like the release date is sometime in 2022 so here's we we're talking uh mid-year july june july yeah so there's that uh please don't mess this up we can uh, only hope <laughs> uh, i mean not for nothing the bar set pretty low yeah that's true um in other news uh we, we are still waiting for more information about uh when kevin smith's uh produced master of the universe revelation uh, will be coming out. Uh, so far, the the information that we've been given is that it will be sometime late 2021. I think something I saw something to the effect of like Q3 to Q4, which is not really useful for you know making your plans. Uh, but something we do know uh, and we do have a date for is Dark Horse Comics will be putting out a Masters of the Universe Revelation prequel comic series uh it is going to be a four issue um series and the first issue will be coming out uh on july 7th and the official description is following a vicious orlax attack on his father king randor he-man learns that the creature is linked to the origin of the sword of power to save randor and put an end to the chaos he-man must embark on a journey that pits him against his longtime foes skeletor and evil Lin and sees Tila take the reins of a powerful legacy. Um, so uh, this is, again, it was we tied to uh, the Netflix series. Um, Smith is going to be one of the writers uh, on the comics. And uh, so it's Kevin Smith, Rob David, Tim Sheridan, Mindy Lee, Rico Renzi, and Darren Bennett uh, as the creative team for it. Uh, so... So the first issue comes out. I'm going to withhold judgment until I can actually see it. Yes. Um, So the first issue is July 7th. Second issue is in August. August 11th. 
then September 9th, and then October 13th, which I think would then point to the series probably not starting until either mid to late October or into November. Um, it, it, it is an animated, so it takes time to make that. It does. It does indeed. Um, and I think the last bit... Um, so today, May 3rd, uh, Marvel dropped a sizzle reel, um, kind of covering what's going to be going on for the rest of the year and into the next several years. Um, and, and Will and I both watched it. And, and cried like babies. Cried like the grown men that we are. Um, opens with uh, Stan Lee talking uh, over uh, images, talking about why, you know, why we go to, to Marvel Comics for entertainment and the, you know, the relationship you have with the people who are watching the, the movies with you. Um, and yeah, it was there. there Early on, there is a scene where, uh, you know, it, it, sh it they go to a shot in the theater uh, from uh, from Endgame when Captain America finally says, uh, and we finally hear him fully say Avengers Assemble, uh, and then they start going through what's going to be coming out. Uh, so we now have the name of the uh, upcoming uh, Black Panther movie, which would be Black Panther Wakanda Forever. A better title there could not be. Absolutely. I, I read that and I before I, I actually read the article before I saw the clip. And uh yeah, it just like hit me really hard. Um they also gave a first look at uh Chloe Zhao's uh, Eternals, um, which is due to arrive in theaters November 5th, 2021. Uh which that looked amazing. Uh, we got to see Angelina Jolie, uh, Salma Hayek, uh, and, the, and the brief little quicks, uh, clips. Um, and it looked like, from what they're saying, looks like a lot of like actual people in actual places and not people in front of green screens. Um, so that's pretty cool. They could have gone over and used the... Uh, the vault. Or the volume. the vault a little bit. The volume. They could. They could. And I would not rule out that they that they haven't. All uh, in the family. That is true. Um, we also saw the they revealed the title of the upcoming uh, Captain Marvel uh, from uh, Nia DaCosta, which has been retitled The Marvels, uh, and we're now uh, so we're we're kind of being led to believe that we will get Carol Danvers, who's played by Brie Larson, uh, Kamala Khan, who will be played by Iman Vellani. And Monica Rambeau, who will be played by who is played by Tiona Paris, uh, who we you've just really gotten a good look at in uh, WandaVision. Uh, we got some more from uh, the Black Widow movie. Uh, we got some some look at the uh, from the Banshee and the Legend of the Ten Rings. Yep. Um, and then just like the list of what will be coming out the next. I think the last one was like into 2023. I, I have a full list. All right. Well, then then give me the full list, Will. Black Widow, July 9th, 2021. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, September 3rd, 2021. Uh, the Eternals, November 5th, 2021. Spider-Man, No Way Home, December 17th, 2021. 
Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, March 25th, 2022. Thor, Love and Thunder, May 6th, 2022. Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, July 8th, 2022. The Marvels, November 11th, 2022. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, February 17th, 2023. Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3, May 5th, 2023. And the tease of the day from Marvel. Mm-hmm. The tease of the day, as it's as it, as the 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 filming as as the reel is coming to an end. It looks like a stylized blue four. No dates, no nothing. If you tilt your head kind of to the side, it looks like the Avengers A. But if you look at it properly, it's a four. Which I'm good for either, just, but, yeah. But I, I definitely would be for a, a good Fantastic Four movie that doesn't involve having to see their origin story again. The only way that I want to see their origin story again is if they give it the uh, Spider-Verse version. For the last time, this mm-hmm. is what happened. <laughs> I'd be okay with that. Okay. Um so that's pretty I much the okay. I would actually be okay. I don't know if anyone remembers that movie, The Phantom from like forever ago. But if they did oh, for those who God, came I would late, love that. Yeah. For those who came in late, bang it out in about five minutes. Yeah. It's sort of like the how they did the uh the the Batman origin in the beginning of uh Superman v Batman, where it was like or Batman v Superman, however you want to you know, where it was like as part of the opening credits over pretty quickly because jesus christ how many times do i have to see thomas and martha wayne get killed oh we, we knew that we actually knew that to establish that uh martha was superman's safe word that was, that was oh. um so that's it for for the news i've got uh will a couple of things and i i want to i i want to throw out an idea and i'm going to throw this out into the hollywood verse uh if you want to make a really, really good movie of this, um, I, I'm down. Although the original was fairly decent. Give me The Shadow. Do you remember that one? The Alec Baldwin. The Alec Baldwin, The Shadow. That could be so much better. It wasn't bad, but it could be better. I would go with that. I would also go with The Phantom, the the, the Billy Zane movie from... Is that even earlier in the 90s? Might have been around the same time. But do not touch the Rocketeer, please. Just leave that one alone. No, that was perfectly perfect the way it's supposed to be. So I have have a couple of things. Uh, My favorite TV show of the 80s is getting a sequel. NBC has ordered a formal pilot to be produced as a sequel of its Emmy-nominated comedy series, Night Court. I remember reading about something. Someone was floating this around for a bit, and I remember reading about that. Please, uh, give me details. Uh, NBC has ordered the, the formal pilot to be uh, produced. Uh, it will star John Larroquette. It has to. Um, along with Big Bang Theory alum, Melissa Ronch, uh, Rausch. The Rouch? Mm-hmm. Rouch. Um, it's going to be based on the original series from the creator Reinhold Week and, and revolves around Abby Stone, 
played by Melissa Rauch, the daughter of late Harry Stone, the late Harry Anderson, uh, who is following in her father's footsteps as she presides over a Manhattan arraignment court, along with its oddballs and cynics, including former night court prosecutor Dan Fielding, played by John Larrikin. I remember reading about this because uh, uh, Melissa Rauch and her husband, Winston Rauch, uh, are a producing team together and i'm i remember that this it seems to me a very uh daunting you know to take such a beloved property but i i think they can do it i think they could absolutely do it um dan rubin who uh, from the unbreakable kimmy schmidt will pen the script and executive produce alongside uh roush and her after January partner slash husband Winston, mm-hmm. uh, they will be producing. Larroquette will also be producing as well. So I uh, I am looking forward to this. This could be this could be really really good. Kayla and I not, not too long ago had done like started watching some Night Court. Uh, I forget on what service at the time. And uh, it I mean other than be you know other than it being you know. One of those where it's like, you know, a lot of this would be would be uh, handled if they had, you know, cell phones. Um, just like you realize, like, just what great characters are written, you know. It, it was it, it was one of those shows that if it did not have the fantastic writing, um, it would not be as great a show as it is. Mm-hmm. And if it didn't have the actors in place to perform the writing it would not be as good as it is. Uh, any, I mean, I know it's a pilot that, that still has to be uh, signed off on by, you know, that they've ordered it, but doesn't mean we're going to actually see it. Um, There's no dates yet. Okay. Uh, one last thing. I just kind of stumbled onto this. Uh, I don't personally play, but apparently League of Legends is getting an animated, se- an animated series at Netflix. Okay. Uh, Netflix and Riot Games are teaming up for an animated series set in the League of Legends universe. Arcane, billed as an event series set to premiere in the fall, will tell the origin stories of two of the iconic League champions and the power that eventually tears them apart. Uh, The show is Riot Games' first TV series. The game maker is uh, producing with Portage Productions. Uh, Netflix announced the project via tweet earlier today that should be interesting it i i know you know like we had uh when we had uh adrian uh adria on uh a few episodes back you know she a huge league of legends fan uh and did you know uh diva cosplay um and i know that that's a huge side of the league of legends uh fandom is doing cosplay of the characters so that should be really interesting uh, and really bring out um bring out the fans well it will do well i imagine it will as long as they as long as they make it um you know as long as they they make it uh words are escaping me um that's just hard yeah no but as long as they they are you know they stay true to the material and they don't go deviating too far and you know they take it with the seriousness that the fans have for it all right i think we lost we lost Eric. Certainly seems that way. 
Um, Between you, me, and the lamppost, you didn't seem to be all that interested in being here. <laughs> um, yeah, he seems like he's completely gone. Um, also, this week, uh, I, we we cannot we cannot uh, pass up. But uh, when you're listening to this on Thursday, two days ago was May the fourth. Uh, Star Wars Day. Star Wars Day. Uh, I've been seeing all sorts of interesting things being rolled out for Star Wars Day. Uh, some really cool stuff from Oculus for for VR, um, including a Star Wars. Uh, where did it go? Star Wars pinball for VR. So, Eight. yeah, uh, yeah. So for for Oculus, uh, there is Star Wars pinball, Star Wars Tales from the Galaxy's Edge, and then Vader Immortals uh, episode one, two, and three uh, for those who are enjoy the oculus vr experience no idea what any of that is but uh you know i'm sure it will be enjoyable if you're on the oculus go find out and and, and tell us about it yeah you can you can just message us at the geekiest pod on any of the socials and let us know what it is and how fun it was and why we should get into doing oculus stuff make us jealous and make us go buy more stuff <laughs> exactly well, who was the geekiest this week? Uh, this week, with a grand total of 11 points, would be Eric. You follow up nicely with six, and I, I, have, I, I, I have none. Euro, you say. I blame my internets. Yeah. That would, that, yeah. You, you my internets talk. failed me this week. They did. Um, I'm going to give you one just because before we went on, and you told me to go Google. Uh, and, and and Star Wars, and I got to see the Star Wars confetti. So, got the obligatory one. Awesome. Yes, not a goose uh, egg. No, not a goose egg. Um, you can find Eric's Witch Hunter: The Invisible World on Alligator Alley Entertainment at alligatoralleyentertainment.com slash Witch Hunter RPG. Um, and then if you just go to alligatoralleyentertainment.com, you can find uh, the other the other uh, products they have, the Forbidden Library that uh, Eric mentioned, as well as Espergenesis. Um, and as always, if you go to uh, theadventuregamestore.com, you can order um, the Daring Do issues uh, to help support the Adventure Game Society Cafe. And uh, so so that's that's his plug that I know of. Hey, Will. Yes, Will, Where can folks find you online? Oh, real, real easy. I am at Geekiest Will on Twitter and Instagram. Not that I know how to use either very well. Joseph? Yes, sir. Tell these folks where they can find you. Well, you can find me on Twitter at Demorgus. That's D-E-M-O-R-G-U-S. If you want to follow the podcast, you can find it at The Geekiest Pod across Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, not only do we post like when we put out episodes, but uh, if I find geeky, uh, geeky news stories or sciencey news stories or whatever, I, I like to share those. Uh, you can also find me as the DM of the Not Safe for Wizards Fifth Edition Actual Play Podcast, uh, and uh, you can also hear Kayla there. Um, you can find me from time to time behind the counter at our thrift store in Davie, Florida, uh, Secondhand Goddess. Uh, and if you can't make it to Davie, uh, which is 4148 Davie Road or Southwest 64th Avenue, if you're using your Google Maps, uh, 
you can find me there sometimes. Uh, if you can't make it down there, then go to secondhandgoddess.net uh, and you can see what we have on our online offerings. Uh, we have an eBay store and a couple other digital store things going on. Um, if you'd like to buy some The Geekiest Podcast merchandise, you can go to shop.spreadshirt.com slash thegeekiestpod and uh, pick yourself up some logo merch or hashtag geekpoint merch. Uh, and and I'm trying to work on some other merch to go out there, so please be patient. But hey, buy something. Um, I think that's it for where people can find me. Um, today, I got my second vaccination shot. Um, One of us. Yeah. One of us. Um, it is getting really easy to go get vaccinated, so uh, we would encourage you to get vaccinated. Um, we also still encourage you to follow all the CDC guidelines. So wearing a mask, following social distancing, washing your hands, uh, not being a dick, as Pete would like to remind you. Um, this show believes that Black Lives Matter, trans rights are human rights, and love is love. We thank you for listening this week, and we look forward to talking to you next week. Leave the world a better place than you found it, kids. I so love it when you say that because I hate saying it when you're not here. <laughs> it doesn't feel right. But I, I, I wholeheartedly believe in the sentiment. Absolutely. Be good, kids. Happy yep. Star Wars Day. Yep. Drink blue milk. Hey there, listener. Before we get out of here, just want to uh, ask you to do us a little favor. Um, two little favors. One, if you go to Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review there. Five stars would be great, but hey, we're leaving that up to you. And second would be share the podcast with your friends, family, co-workers, whoever you think would enjoy a deep dive into geek culture. Uh, that would definitely help us. Thanks for listening. The preceding program was brought to you by Armored Bear Productions.